0: Instead, we see that Jesus shows up to each one of them. And I wonder how different our perspective of Jesus would be today if we didn't simply see him as somebody who just makes a decree in general over everybody, but instead shows up to you specifically and meets with you. That he knows your story, that he knows your struggle, that he knows what you've been met with, And because of that, he does something unique with each and every one of us. I wonder how beautiful and how different we would see Jesus if we saw him in that way. And so as we talk about this idea of each one of them, Jesus in this narrative performs a miracle. Now, for some of us, maybe some of us are familiar with the 19th century, 20th century liberal theology movement. Basically what happened is there was a guy whose name is Frederick Schliermacher. I know it's a German name, so I basically butchered it. You're welcome. And uh, he basically said, well, listen, what if all of these miracles that it seems like Jesus does, what if actually they're just moral stories? What, What if Jesus is actually just an archetype of how we can live our lives in good ways, helping people out in kind ways? But what if these miracles never actually happened? And the thing is that this theology ended up leaking its way into the church, leaking its way into our worldview. So sometimes when we read the Bible, all that we end up doing is saying, well, listen, it's a good moral teaching instead of recognizing that our God is a God of miracles today, instead of recognizing that our God shows up in your life today and that he wants to do a miracle in our hearts and lives and that he's capable of doing that today. And so I hope that as we read this narrative, as we look at the story of how Jesus heals people, that we don't just simply see it as like a, oh, isn't Jesus so nice and doing nice things to people, but that we see him as a son of God in power who brings the kingdom of God wherever he shows up, and that in that same way that he can show up in your life, the son of God in power, and bring about changes and miracles in your life today. And so that's where we're going. My hope is that you see Jesus as beautiful, as excellent, as praiseworthy, and that you see him as somebody who actually desires to do something incredible in your life. And so we start off in verse 38, and it says this. It says, after he left the synagogue. And so, uh, okay, well, what is he leaving? Why is he leaving the synagogue? What's happened just previous to that? And just previous to that, what we've been talking about is that Jesus started his inaugural address as the Son of God in power, starting in Luke chapter 4. And here's the address, the beautiful news that he gives to each one of us. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the question that each one of us have in mind is, is he somebody who comes in word only, or will he come in word and deed? And what he proves to us, just the narrative following that, as he casts out a demon, as he proves to us that there are kingdoms at war, and that this... Coming kingdom of God means the collapse of the kingdom of Satan, that as we look at the world around us, maybe even as we look at the world inside of us, that we realize that there is evil in the world around us and that evil can only be cast out in so far as the kingdom of God is ushered into that space. But not only does he demonstrate that he is more powerful than the kingdom of evil, but he demonstrates the beauty of his heart toward us sinners and sufferers. And so that's what we see in this passage. So as he gets up from the synagogue, here's what we see him doing. He entered Simon's house, and Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she got up immediately and began to serve them. When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. And as he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Now, it's interesting that in this passage, this word actually, as he comes to Simon's mother-in-law who is ill, that it says that Jesus rebukes the illness. And the question will be, well, listen, why does Jesus rebuke the illness in the same way that he rebukes a demon? And the reason why is because he's ushering in the kingdom of God. Wherever Jesus is, there is the kingdom of God. And what he demonstrates in the first miracle is that darkness and evil cannot overcome him. As anyone who stands in a dark room and turns on a light, you've never seen the darkness overcome the light. You know, have you ever had to like close the door to keep the darkness out? No, all you need to do is be in the light. And as there is light, there the darkness flees. And so it is with Jesus. And then he stands up. And before before Simon's mother-in-law, he rebukes the illness because... In the kingdom of God, as it comes to fruition, we see that sickness has no part in it. We see that disease has no part in it. That where Jesus shows up on the scene, he ushers in and inaugurates his coming. And we see that where he shows up, that he does something with sickness and disease. And ultimately, in his second coming, he will do away with all sickness and disease. As we see in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and they will be his God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And maybe you're asking this question, well, why is it that not every person gets healed? Why is it that there's still sickness in the world around us today? And I would say, well, that's a good and theological question. It's because we live in something called the already, not yet kingdom of God. What I mean by that is when Jesus stepped on the scene, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. Because where Jesus showed up, the kingdom showed up. Because the king showed up. And as we see that, that he inaugurated this new kingdom. And so we can see in the church today that God can heal people. That God can restore people. That God can bring about miracles. But we also live in the not yet Because there's a coming time where God will redeem and restore all things with Jesus' second coming. But until then, we live in the messy middle anybody know what it's like to live in the messy middle? <laughs> that you feel like, man, you know what? I've been changed and I've been transformed, but I'm not quite where I want to be yet. And maybe you wake up living in the tension between the two. And the reason why is because we live in the already not yet kingdom of God. God can heal anyone, but it doesn't mean that God will heal everyone on this side of eternity. I don't know about you, but I always like to think, well, uh, kind of the percentage rate of debt is 100%, right? Every one of us will die at some point. And so that means that that at some point, all of us get to move on to eternity, but there are moments where God breaks in and he does something miraculous. And I don't want us to miss out on that because in the church today, we still believe that God performs miracles. We still believe that as we are in tune with the spirit and as he guides us to pray for people, that people can be healed, that they can be changed, that they can be transformed by the power of the spirit. But we also know that there's a coming time that all of the fullness of the kingdom of God will be felt. And when that fullness of the kingdom of God will be felt, there will be no pain, there will be no tears. Instead, we see that God will be all and in all. But in the in-between, what does that mean for Jesus and us? What does it mean for us in the midst of our suffering? Because I don't know about you, but no matter whether you've had a good life or a hard life, every one of us will have suffering. I know that for some of you, you're like, I thought I was coming here for good news. Well, there is good news, but I want to give you the truth first. That no matter whether or not you know Jesus, you will encounter suffering in your life. And the question is what is Jesus doing in the midst of our suffering? How is Jesus working toward us? And what is he doing in our life as we are encountering suffering? And as we see the miracle of Jesus, well, I want to give you encouragements of what Jesus is doing in your life. And so four truths about Jesus in the midst of our suffering. The first one is this. The first truth is that Jesus enters into suffering. Here's what we see in this passage. It says, after he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's House. Now, I want to pause there because I would ask you the question, how is it that Jesus enters Simon's house? <laughs> well, because he's incarnate, because he enters into humanity, that I think sometimes we think that God is aloof that he's up there doing God things and we're down here doing human things and never the two meet. But in Jesus, we see in the incarnation that Jesus enters into our suffering. And so we recognize the only reason Jesus could show up at Simon's mother-in-law's house is because he said, I'm not gonna stay away. I must enter into your suffering. The thing is, I think for some of us, our theology that we think that uh, we treat our pets better than Jesus treats us. (laughs) Here's here's what I mean by that. I've seen how some of y'all love your pets. You see, for those of you who have pets, there's not a moment when your pet starts to suffer. You know, when they're struggling through something, when they need to go to the vet, there's not a moment that you just look at your pet and you're like, get over it. (laughs) Figure it out. You're on your own. No, there's something about us that we say, I got to Coddle. Before we had Lively, my daughter, our dog was our dogger. And so we would literally, she would have stomach ulcers. I kid you not. I don't know what she's stressed out about. She had the best life. And so late into the night, like two o'clock in the morning, I'd be petting her and I'd be praying over her as we didn't know what was going. Anybody knows somebody who loves their pet a little too much. And so what happens is sometimes we think that our theology, that, that we look at the way that we love our pet and we think that God loves us less than we love our pet. And then I had a daughter And can I tell you that there is not a moment that my daughter suffers that my heart does not go out to her. There's not a single struggle that she goes through that I don't get drawn to her. And so it is with the heart of Christ for those who are sinners and sufferers in the world that if you love your pet, can I tell you how much more Jesus's heart goes out to you? That I think sometimes we think that we have Jesus who withdraws himself from us in our suffering but it's actually in that moment that we recognize that Jesus comes to us in our suffering so much so that for all of eternity he has taken on human flesh because he came and he dwelt among us and he brought restoration and redemption to us can I tell you, get better theology than pet theology. Yeah. Get Jesus theology yeah. and see the way that his heart is drawn to you. Because in that moment, Jesus comes to Simon's mother-in-law because he is incarnate. Can I tell you, he's incarnate in your life today as well. We see that first, Jesus enters into suffering. The second thing that we see is that Jesus doesn't just enter into suffering broadly, but Jesus enters into our suffering. Our suffering. Jesus enters into our suffering. Here's what it says. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And what we see is that Jesus doesn't just enter into the room, but he enters into the suffering of this mother-in-law. He enters into the struggle that she's into. And for you and I, what we need to recognize is that Jesus isn't just generally there as some sort of ether in the world, but he is genuinely there in his presence with you as you suffer. That there's not a moment that you feel like you're alone, or that nobody knows, or that nobody understands, or that nobody cares, as you're walking through your dark moment, it is in that very moment where Jesus walks into the room and that he is present with you because he promises to be with his people. You see, the thing is I think sometimes, uh, like we found this out in the lobby home this week, that there are two different types of sick people. The first type of sick people is my kind of sick people, the people who milk it for all it's worth. Anybody the, the, you're just like, I'm gonna be so sick. I'm going to prove to you how sick I am. And so the moment I get a stuffy nose or a sore throat, I'm walking around like somebody take care of me because I need help. And so on the one side, there are the people who are sick, who know they're sick, and they'll live it up to the fullest extent. There are other people on the other side who are like, I'm not sick. I'm going to go into work even though I'll collapse on my desk and my nose has been hitting the end button for a half hour because I've passed out. Anybody that kind of person, you don't even know yourself. Your spouse knows you better than you know you. Yeah. Ask them when you get home. And so there are the people who say, well, listen, I'm not even sick. And Jesus shows up. And he says, listen, I enter into your suffering. If you're the kind of person that you just live in the woe is me, that Jesus says, well, listen, you better wake up because there's more than just you saying woe is me. There better be, wow, there's God. And so in the midst of those moments, sometimes we get so internally focused that we look at our own struggle and we forget to look up so that Jesus can enter into your suffering in this moment saying, I'm there with you. You're never alone. And then there are some of us on the other side that Jesus shows up when we say, I'm all good. I'm fine. I figured this out, Jesus. I don't really need you to show up. And Jesus says to you in this moment, for those of you who feel like you got it all together, you don't. You're falling to pieces and that you need him to enter into your suffering in every moment. And it is a gift when Jesus shows up in your suffering specifically. That he shows up and he says, listen, my son, my daughter, I'm there for you. And it's, I'm so close that not only does he say that he's beside you, but he's inside of you. And there's this beautiful phrase, uh, this beautiful idea. There is a a kind of, I would say heterodox for those of you who are theologians. So like there's some stuff that he taught that wasn't great. But there was a guy in the ninth century, his name was Maximus the Confessor. And he said this about God and the way that he suffers with us. He said, God is so close to us in our suffering that when we suffer, he suffers. If we look at this idea of Christ being in you and you being in Christ and you being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, isn't it true that as you walk through the sufferings of your life that he does not not experience it? Instead, he experiences that with you because he's united with you. And this beautiful message means that he's actually walking with you through the suffering. And he doesn't just simply take a step back and say, you, you just have to deal with your own thing. He says, I'm there and I feel it too beautiful news of Jesus in the midst of our suffering is that Jesus enters into our suffering. I wonder how often Jesus is sitting there and that he's inviting us to welcome him into our suffering and we just don't even recognize it. And he's saying, if you take some time away from the busyness of life and the busyness of the world and just sit with me, just be with me and lament. We've lost this beautiful idea of what it means to lament in the church. But there's a book of the Bible called Lamentations. There are Psalms that are filled with lamentations. There's the book of Job filled with a lamentation toward the Lord that says, God, I don't like it. I don't figure it out. I don't know what you're doing. But in this moment, I believe you're here. Yeah. And that's what we need to do sometimes is just yeah. simply say, Lord, I don't feel it. And sometimes even when I don't feel it, I'm still going to believe that you're still working. Even though I don't see it in the life of the one that I love, that I wish that I would see you do something incredible, God, I'm still believing that you're working. And in those moments, it's by faith that we walk, not by sight. And we recognize that Jesus is there entering into our suffering. The third thing is this, that Jesus enters into suffering through his church. That in verse 39, it says this, it says, So he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them. And when the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. You see, in this moment when this, uh, Simon's mother-in-law is healed, what does she do? She gets up and she begins to serve others. And then what do we see? But those who are not ill bring those who are ill to Jesus. If you're wondering what the purpose of the church is, the purpose of the church is to bring those who are ill to Jesus and to bring Jesus to those who are ill. You see, I think sometimes the church looks a whole lot more like a courtroom than it does a hospital room. That sometimes people show up in church and what they experience is, you wanna be judged, this is a good place to make it happen. We'll tell you all the things that are wrong with you, we, well, I saw you walking. I saw you got a tattoo. I saw your shirt. I saw the people that you walked in with. I know your story. And sometimes what happens is that we begin to think that the church is a courtroom where we just simply give justice and guilt to the world around us. Instead, what we see is the church is called to be a hospital room. You don't show up in a hospital room with a problem. Somebody just says, well, listen, that's, that's really, that was a dumb decision. You shouldn't have done that. No, they recognize that in that moment, what you need is care. And so it ought to be in the church. That when we show up, we show up with the heart of a physician to say, how can I care? How can I bring Jesus close to those who are hurting and broken? And I wonder how different it would look if the world saw the church not being the place of a courtroom, but saw them as being the hospital room because we know the great physician. And we just simply, every time somebody is sick, we say, listen, I've already been sick and I am sick. And I got to keep going back to Jesus so that he can heal the sickness in my soul. And can you experience the one that even though I walk through all these sins, he still knows me and still loves me. It's not a sales pitch that we make. It's the beauty of experiencing the heart of Jesus Christ as we just simply say, come and see the one who knows everything I've ever done and still loves me. And that's the call of the church. It's the beauty of the church. It's not the church called the body of Christ. Romans twelve five. 5 in that way, we who are many are one body in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17, because there's one bread, we who are many are one body. Verse uh, 12 of 1 Corinthians 27, now you who are the body of Christ and individual members of it, I wonder what it would look like if we took on the posture of Jesus and if we showed up in the places of brokenness saying, I will show up and I'll be there in the suffering." Now, I think sometimes we imagine that in this passage that Jesus was just kind of talking to the 12. You know, in today's society, we love to go to to book signings. We love to go to conferences. And the people have done the great things. And we're like, man, can you believe it? Here's the great things they've done. But I love that in scripture, it doesn't just simply stop with the 12 disciples. Instead, we see that in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell on all those in the upper room. And he was given to all those who are the church. So that now it's not us looking at the 10 people who are doing incredible things. It's the one billion people who claim to be Christians doing 1 billion little things in the world and showing the love of Jesus in those ways. I love hearing stories of your workplaces where you're asking the question, Lord, what would you have me do to serve in this moment? I love hearing the stories of your workplaces where you say, who's the person everybody else makes fun of and gossips about because I'm going to go and I'm going to help them. Who's the person that's the slowest because I'm going to go and help them. And it's in the one billion ways that the Christian shows the goodness of the Lord that we enter into suffering, not just simply by saying, yeah, Jesus does it, but his body does it as well. And so I wonder what it would look like if it's the prisoner that you write to, that you just simply are consistent in saying, I'm writing no matter what. It's the neighbor's lawn that you mow, even though they give you a dirty look. It's the invitation to your table. It's the foster child you take in. It's the person you pray for. It's the sufferer that you listen to without casting judgment or trying to give a solution. It's the kind word that you speak. It's the prayer that you pray to lift somebody before Jesus. Can I tell you one of the best things that you can do? It says, and they brought the people to Jesus. That there's a radical availability that in our prayers, we can bring somebody to Jesus. And sometimes in my own mind's eye, literally all I do for some of y'all, uh, this, is, this might be weird for you, but it's okay, is all that I do is I imagine holding you in my arms before the throne of grace. And I just stand there with Jesus and I stand there holding you in my arms saying, Lord, they need your strength. They need your grace. They need your power. And I wonder how often we're so busy doing other things instead of bringing people before Jesus in prayer. But it's our privilege to bring people before Jesus and to serve them once we've experienced the love of Jesus. And so Jesus enters into our suffering through the church. And finally, we see Jesus enters into our suffering personally. In this passage, it says, as he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. And I love this idea that it doesn't just say, and as Jesus spoke over them. You know, sometimes you see a crusade and they just kind of do one of these things and they're just speaking over people. No, it says Jesus laid his hand on each one of them. And I wonder how often we experience that reality of saying Jesus is so near to you that he says you matter. And in the moment of your sin and suffering, when you feel like I've done it this time, I've gone too far, there's no way he could love me for this, that it's in that very moment that he comes to you and he says, let me lay my hands on you in solidarity to your pain and to your suffering. And he shows up in your life and he lays a hand on each one of you. The great physician shows up for each one of us with healing in his touch. Can I tell you the delight of Jesus himself? becomes our delight of finding him in our suffering you see because sometimes what happens during our times of suffering is God says listen you've been leaning on other things you've been leaning on coping mechanisms you've been leaning leaning on the people around you you've been leaning on entertainment and what he does in our suffering is he shows up and he says will you lean on me because I'm here for you in the midst of the hardship that nobody else knows. Would you lean on me and would you allow me to be all and in all and recognize that the thirst of your soul can only be satisfied by Jesus for some of us, what we've been doing is drinking salt water day after day, trying to find fulfillment in other things, fulfillment in status, fulfillment in our job, fulfillment in our finances, fulfillment in relationships. And it's just drinking salt water. It just makes us more and more thirsty. And in those seasons of suffering, what Jesus is inviting us to do is to recognize, would you come to the one who actually can fulfill the longing of your soul, which is Jesus himself, who enters in personally. Personally that you might experience the sweetness of the Savior. And so we see that Jesus enters into the season of our suffering and that his own mission that we see in verse 43, he said to them, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to other towns also because this is what I was sent for this purpose. And what we recognize is this proclamation of the kingdom of God and a God who enters into the midst of our struggle and suffering is the beauty of Jesus' own mission as he will set his face toward Jerusalem and on a cross he takes away our sin and he takes away our shame and he takes away all of the things so that then it's just us and him and we look upon the lamb that was slain, our living hope, and it's there that we meet Jesus for who he is, the one who suffers alongside of us. And so I'm gonna have Holly come up and play piano. And uh, what we're going to do is we're gonna partake in communion. And what's incredible about communion is for some of us, we've just simply imagined this is just kind of a memorial for what happened. And we just kind of draw our mind back to 2,000 years ago to what Jesus did. But actually there's something happening here at communion, at the Lord's Supper that goes beyond words. Here's how Paul describes it he says therefore my dear friends flee from idolatry I speak to sensible people judge for yourselves what I say is not the cup of Thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ because there is one loaf we who are many are one body for we all share the one loaf. what I love about communion is it's not just simply a reminder to say, isn't it great what Jesus did 2000 years ago? Communion is a reminder that he's present here now, that in this mystical union with Jesus Christ, we participate with him. And it's him standing with us in solidarity to remind us that he is in us and we are in him. And as we partake in this communion that he is saying, I feel the suffering and I feel the pain and you're never alone in the midst of your sin or of your shame, but he says, I'm there with you, closer than you can imagine. And as we partake in communion, it is this mystical and beautiful experience of us saying, I'm united with God and him with me. And there's never a moment where I walk alone. Instead, through every step of this journey in my life, I'm walking with him and he with me. And there's never a moment where it is just simply me. It's always him and me in participation in this life. I wonder how different some of us would walk through our days and walk through our nights and walk through our struggles if we would recognize that Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And he says this, he says, because Christ dwells in me, when I am weak, then I am strong because I am made perfect in my weakness. And so I wonder for some of us today that we would show up and instead of being the group of people that say I've got it all together, I don't need the Lord that we would recognize I'm desperately in need of the Lord. And I have no good thing but Him. And I wonder if some of us who got a little internal navel-gazy at all the problems and all the anxiety and all the depression and all the things that we've been through, if just for a moment, we would lift our eyes up and we would recognize that standing right in front of us is the Son of God in power and that He is beckoning us, welcoming us to come before the throne of grace because He Himself also suffered. And for us to be carried along by Him as we participate in his beautiful divine life. Would you stand with me today? And so uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a bit of a throwback song. A song that talks about Jesus' name being like honey on our lips and his spirit like water to our souls because there's this beautiful understanding that as we partake in the drink and as we partake in the bread, that we are participating in the divine life of Christ and that he is changing us in faith from the inside out. And so as we partake at the table, let us know that we are not on our own, but we together are the body of Christ, lifting one another up before the Lord. Would you pray with me today? Lord, we thank you. We thank you that scripture says, and he laid his hands on each one of them. For those of us who feel overlooked, for those of us who feel overwhelmed, for those of us who feel overcome by sin, you lay your hands on each one of us and bring healing by your soul. Lord, for some of us today, we will experience that in a physical way, that as we pray for one another, there are some of us on this side of eternity that will experience the beautiful, incoming kingdom of God in a physical way. For others of us, we will experience that in a spiritual way and understand that you are the one our soul longs for. Lord, I pray that as we partake in the Lord's Supper, that we would commune with you, that we would see not I, but Christ who lives within me and that we participate in the beautiful divine nature itself. And so would we recognize that there's something more happening here than just us drawing our mind back to something that happened in the past, but something is happening in the present where you are present here with us and where you are bringing health and life to the inside of us. May that which is death inside of us become life as we consume the beautiful elements before us. And may you transform us from the inside out. May we gaze on the one in adoration who gave it all. And may you become life and health to us. So I invite you, before you come forward to participate in the Lord's Supper today, to examine your own heart, to welcome the Lord into the moment of your suffering, to dwell with that moment and to recognize even in your own imagination to bring him into this moment and recognize that he has been there the whole time you just didn't notice it how many times are we going through life and and we imagine that he's not there but it's not that he's not there it's just that we didn't recognize it And so when we attune ourselves to his presence when we take a breath and recognize he's just not outside of us but he's inside of us and then through communion when we collapse into him and recognize that it is participating in his life that brings us life, that there is joy and beauty and grace. And so when you're ready, you can come forward to receive the elements. We're doing something called intinction, where you can rip off some of the bread, which signifies that we are all part of one body of Christ. Dip it into the, the juice and recognize that we all participate in one blood that brings us as righteous before the throne of grace. And that there is something that even though we might not have enough faith, or we feel like we don't have enough faith in this moment, the beautiful message of the gospel is that it was never about how much faith you had. It was always about the work of Jesus Christ and the faith that he had. And so have faith in just saying, even my faith is too small, but by faith I take this And recognizing the faith of Jesus is enough. And as we partake, may we notice the beauty, the goodness of Christ. And may his name become like honey, on our lips. Would you examine your own hearts, attune yourself to his presence, and when you're ready, you can come forward and partake in communion. this week, that we recognize the radical availability of the Lord, that for those of us who are found in Christ, that the Holy Spirit is found in us, that there is a union between our spirits and the Holy Spirit, there's a union between us and you, that means that there's never a moment, no matter if we feel it or not you are not with us, in us, working through us, and so Lord, I ask that you would bring our minds back to you throughout this week, that there be moments that we would just simply be able to delight in the fact that you have radical availability, that Lord, there's never a moment where we push you away or where we shove you away, that Lord, you are not still always there, ready, whenever we're ready to turn back to you, and so Lord, I ask this week that we would experience that that we would delight in that, that we would walk through maybe some old wounds and some old struggles, and that we would invite you into that moment and recognize that you're the healer of that struggle. One of the best questions somebody asked me, Lord, was they said, if you go back to that moment and if Jesus is there, what does he do? What's happening? And Lord, I pray that we would welcome you in the moments of our hurt, in the moments of our struggle, in the moments of our sin, and recognize that you're not casting judgment, recognizing that you're not casting blame, but you show up in nearness, laying your hands on us, blessing us, and bringing healing. May we know and experience the healing, beautiful mercy of the Lord in our hearts and our lives. If we go throughout this week being Jesus, entering into the suffering of those around us and bringing you to each individual that we come in contact with. We ask all this in the mighty and precious name of Jesus and everybody said, Amen. Amen. We have our prayer team down front. They would love to pray for you, to bring you, to hold you before the Lord. Don't rob them of their blessing. And so come down front and give a moment of them praying over You go throughout this week knowing that the presence, the sweet presence of the Lord is with you, that his face is shining on you and is gracious toward you and giving you his peace, and may you, in exchange, bring that peace to the world around you who so desperately needs it. Feel free to continue to come forward for communion, come forward for prayer, always going to continue to pray. Say hi to somebody and bless them on your way out the door today, Blessings in Jesus Christ.